Ready, set, go! Welcome back to the EV Diaries, your place for EVs in small town America. Range anxiety. I've cited it for years before the start of this podcast as one of the obstacles for EV adoption. But in an email exchange from Barry in California, he expressed his thought that I should stop using the phrase. To his point, any vehicle, EV, internal combustion engine, hydrogen fuel cell, or flux capacitor can, has, and will eventually run out of fuel. Now, I myself, I've ran out of gas three or four times in my lifetime, maybe more. Um, And the last time I did was as recently as 2019 in my Mini Cooper. Um, That morning, not getting into the details, gasoline was, well, lack of gasoline, was not even on my mind. I was uh, working on getting a static bar compensator commissioned at a sawmill, and everything was all well and good until it wasn't. Um, So there I was, stranded about a mile from the job site. So obviously it, you know, worked out okay, but it's still embarrassing. Fortunately, since March when I started driving electric, I am consciously aware of my state of charge. Because of this podcast and the curiosity of uh, my day job bosses at the co-op, I track every mile, every kilowatt hour consumed, and the energy that is delivered by my EVSE. The thing is, I am paying attention, and that is really making a a big difference. Um, But getting back to Barry's point, Any vehicle can become disabled by lack of fuel, but when we're talking about internal combustion engines, for some odd reason, we don't acknowledge that fact. And it all comes back to gas pump thinking. Um, You don't have anxiety about how far you can go in an internal combustion engine car because you know that on every corner there's a filling station and you can get what you need and go. Here's the thing. Most cars today have a 250 mile, I think my my mini topped out full tank was 270 something, um, up to 400 miles on a tank of gas. Well, we've got EVs now that can go 250 to 400 miles on a charge. There's no excuse that the range of the car should be a problem. I mean, look at me. I'm operating with a 90-mile battery. True, I do have the backup of the range extender, and I don't take a lot of road trips, but that car with 90 miles gets me where I need to go. I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day, that we should take my i3 more places because, you know, we do have the convenience of the backup generation, uh, worst comes to worst, I stop every 70 miles and get gas. I mean, it's it's not the most convenient thing in the world, but 
getting back to Barry's point, not only is range anxiety a poor excuse for not buying an EV, it's really a misnomer because we're not looking at the bigger issue, which is infrastructure deployment. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we will call it from now on, Infrastructure Deployment Apprehension, or IDA. I almost went with Infrastructure Deficiency Syndrome, but that really sounds like you need to up your vitamin intake. Um, also, thought about Infrastructure Deployment Perception. However, when you talk about perception, um, in small-town America, the lack of infrastructure, your perception is correct. Um, and the fact the word apprehension sort of has that fear factor built in because it is, it's a fear of being stranded on the side of the road um, because you can't find a place to fuel up. So, again, I think it's an excuse. I don't think it's valid. But range anxiety is dead, and we are more concerned with infrastructure deployment apprehension. So let's, uh, let's take a, a minute to unpack this apprehension. IDA is a big challenge that uh, is facing EV adoption, especially in small-town America. Because the, the vehicle technologies, the batteries, uh, the charging capability are all progressing nicely. But unfortunately, the deployment of charging on our grid is still a question that really doesn't have a solid answer. The concern is that, yeah, right now, level two charging we can handle it if you know 90% of the people on your block start charging their cars. Um, what's that going to do to the overall demand? What's that going to cause here? Uh, what are we doing about fleets? Like I said, if you have a hundred vehicles charging at level two um, every night, you're still you're looking at a, a dedicated feeder coming out of a substation. Um, you got more than that. I mean, it's there's concerns there, and it's like, how are we going to adapt? Because as robust as our system is, the changes to implement um, they just take some time. I mean, you got all the permitting and the EPA stuff that you got to deal with. You got to come up with the generation, which with renewables. Um, you know, that's being incorporated a lot. Um, and then you get the charging locations themselves. Uh, what happens when you've got more than you can, can handle at any one time? And then you start talking about battery storage de and deployment, um, being able to have the batteries there to help um, charge more quickly. Um, and then be able to charge when no one is using the charger. It's it's really, it's a big question. Um, and to be honest, we take our electric grid for granted. Um, you know, as long as the lights come on, we're happy. And then when they don't, we like to complain. But 
let's think about the grid in America. I've heard it described as the biggest man-made machine ever constructed on the earth. And never really thought of it that way, but, but think about it. You've got all of this system that ties together. It's united thousands of entities. Uh, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of miles of line. And there's numerous pieces of equipment, transformers and protective devices that provide this really what is an unimaginable way of life. Now, it's it's imaginable to us, and we do take it for granted, but you think about back in the 1893 World Columbian Exposition, which, you know, that's the World's Fair. Uh, that was the one in Chicago, and that's where Mr. Westinghouse, with the help of Mr. Tesla, used AC current to keep all of the nearly 100,000 little incandescent bulbs, which were at the time fairly new in invention, um, kept them illuminated for all the world to see. It was spectacular technology, and we get to today, and it's so commonplace that, that we just take it for granted. And I know it seems incredible, but my co-op is only 80-some-odd years old. Now, that means there are people living in my neighborhood that remember a time without electricity. They're growing up as a child involved coal oil lamps and outdoor plumbing. Now, think about that. Um, many of us, me included, cannot imagine that. I mean, not unless we're going camping. Um, but just living that way 24-7, it's a hard thing to imagine. Um, I mean, think about it. I can barely remember a time when I didn't have a, a cell phone or um, I should say a computer in my pocket because that's essentially what an iPhone is. And, you know, there was days before that, you know, microwave ovens. I, I can barely remember those days. But... I digress. The point of the matter is the grid is one of the things that's holding us back. But at the same time, it is the thing that's making it possible for us to be here to begin with. So focusing on charging specifically, there is a need for more access to charging. And this is why infrastructure deployment apprehension is a concern for EV adoption. Now, like I said, ICE drivers, they don't recognize the fact that, that they have this same concern because their infrastructure has already been deployed to the point of oversaturation. And non-EV owners looking to become EV owners, they're still thinking that this is the way it should be. And to be honest, there is a need for more fast charging. Um, now, I have come to realize that level two public charging, it's a nice first step, but 
really it's ineffective you know think about it um hotel parking level two is great because you can stay overnight and uh, charge your car be ready to go the next morning movie theaters mm, you're there for two hours maybe okay it would be all right um but how many times do you travel to a movie theater that is outside of the range of your car i know that um, well just for an example we watched it's a wonderful life last night on the big screen um and the next town over it's a 30 miles round trip um we have gone as far as richmond and lexington to see movies um but there again it's within the range of my car however i would have to charge so there again, a couple hours charge, it's going to get me get me part of the way back. Um, depends on how long the movie is. But putting a level 2 charger outside of a McDonald's, mm, it's not, not that great. But then on the other hand, at least they're there to be used. So it's, it's really up in there. Um, what we really need is more DC fast charging, um, which we talked about that. But that is such a big commitment um, to ask entities to, to install. First of all, it's more than a couple of thousand dollars. Um, you know, if you're a private company and you want to put in some, say you are McDonald's, and you want to put in some, some level two charging in your your parking lot yeah you're going to do it it's going to cost you ten twelve thousand dollars it's going to be an investment that you hope that you recoup however um, DC fast charging you're talking ten times that um, it's just just more than than a few thousand dollars and that price tag scares a lot of entities off from installing um, DC fast charging um, and we're talking more than just a couple of parking places. It's one thing to put a, a level two charger in your parking lot that serves two parking spaces. When you're talking DC fast charging, you've got to have a, a pretty good chunk of land. Um, and you're just not going to put it in for a couple of spaces. No, you're going to have it there to 10 or 12 dedicated charging uh, spaces. Um, just overall... The, it's just more. It takes more planning, more commitment, more doing, more money. Um, but it's exactly what is needed. So who's going to pay for this? Who's going to who's going to lead the charge for more DC fast charging so that we can overcome this IDA? Um, you know, I think I'm going to stop with that question. Uh, I can go on, and I would like to follow up with that, this idea, but I think I'm going to save that for IDA Part 2. That being said, I am planning on one more episode before Christmas, uh, probably IDA Part 2, but if that doesn't happen, I want to take this opportunity to say Happy Holidays, um, this year has been odd to say the least and i expect the start of 2021 
and maybe on up into summer will be similarly odd. Um, but I do want to take this time to remind us that we are blessed with so many things. And I'm going to include in these blessings the technology that we have to create and listen to podcasts. Um, and assuming that you are listening to the podcast, um, I'm hoping that you are healthy, which is something to be grateful for. Um, we live in a country where uh, food and clean water is abundant. Now, I realize that not everybody in America has access to adequate food and clean water. But if you're listening to this, more than likely you are blessed with food and water and you're probably in a position to bless others. Um, so this time of year, just want to be thankful, grateful. Um, I'm particularly blessed because you are listening to this. Uh, you've given me a platform to talk about um, something I'm really, really passionate about and I really enjoy. So just have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. And remember, the EV revolution is here, and it is a fun ride. <music>